And welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Ah! Yeah, we made it to 201. <laughs> hey, let's hey. open up the calls. <laughs> and, uh, holy cow! That's a lot of calls, people! Uh, it's like the, the floodgates were opened and all the little peoples in the valley have just, you know, like, lost their homes and... Everything has been swept downstream, and the rubble is forming oh, the humanity. Oh, <laughs> oh! I, but thank you. Yep, engagement is engagement. Hey, I traditionally understand. we play each call in turn, uh, but this time we're, we're actually going to just like not actually play them because too much time would be involved. But we will launch from point to point. Yeah, we really appreciate the engagement, but. Yeah, I know when we said we were leaving the OSR, this isn't a bus station or an airport. We don't have to report our times of arrival and departure. But, in this case, we, for our 200 episode, we wanted to talk about something that we felt kind of encapsulated our experience doing this podcast. And getting to 200 is a big step for us. So It, it was part of our origin, origin story. I mean, it, it's the, you know... It's it's a thing that directly. Ooh, is this like an origin story? Like after like a long running span, they finally like who is? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's more the of Dicer an origin screaming. story, like uh, you know, uh, Batman, where you know, it was <laughs> they killed my parents. I'm gonna dress like a bat and kick ass. <laughs> All right. I was making the allegory that, you know, this was uh, after a long-running series, they finally revealed the origin. Finally, who is the men behind the dice? <laughs> and so, yeah, you got a peek. Uh, wow. Um, it was pretty underwhelming, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was not nearly as impressive as, uh, you know, uh, a billionaire trapped on a desert island masters the use of a bow. Uh, no. No, nothing quite that thrilling, but... Uh, you know, OSR did have this enormous impact and influence that uh, really, you know, brought this show into being. So, totally worth doing. It was worth it for the 200th episode to uh, to elucidate on that particular subject. Yeah. To illuminate uh, and ruminate. Just to let people have a, a glimpse of, like, hey, you know, like, this is not contempt. This is not hatred. Uh, this is a kind of uh, residual nostalgic love for what it was to us at the time and an admission that uh, we can't really be, you know, uh, be included in those ranks uh, as a brand. But some of our call-ins really hit some fantastic points as usual. So, I mean, kudos to everybody. Yeah, so uh, we're just going to cover in a broad category and then get on with our main topic for today. Yeah. Which, uh, hey, it's time, before we get into that, though, it's time to cast the augury. Yes, the casting of the augury. That is the, the future hold. And... That's me and the sheep entrails. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our bad sound effects, so yeah, you're welcome to it. <laughs> Uh, coming up in the near future here, we're going to be talking about a lot of our favorite things, which includes a, few, a new OSR movie night. Can oh. Still say that? I don't know. Yeah, we, we had a movie night. On so the Appendix N movie night. All right. So we're going to say Appendix N movie night since we said R of R, OSR. Yeah, we're going to go with uh, some of the B movies. Uh, we're also going to be covering Rod of Seven Parts box set. That's going to be coming up. Yeah. Um, of course, we keep Agile on this because something may arise in the community or at large that we want to talk about. Also, some 
unseen things that are vague and we cannot speak of, only in the most guarded of terms, like a new starter set for uh, one of our favorite games, So, or at least mine. Yeah, that will totally happen. That will be totally be happening. We'll be doing that. And, uh, and of course, we would mentioned last week the Birthright episode uh, will also be in the works. Yeah, we'll be covering um, some off-brand TSR set campaign settings. We're just going to uh, touch on the high points of them and some of the low points of those off-brand. Um, yeah, and uh, our gr- glorious Spelljammer episode. It is going to happen. I, people had expressed some concern that since I was not a huge fan of Spelljammer, I wouldn't want to do an episode on it. But understand, my personal opinion has nothing to do with my willingness to acknowledge that something had a place in gaming and occupied an important zone uh, and fueled a lot of imagination. So uh, do not doubt, uh, in my view, Spelljammer is very much part of the you know, like uh, canonical D&D tradition. It, it's a game of a time period where they were expanding to new campaign settings very rapidly. And it has a place. It deserves to have an episode. Uh, that I was not its hugest proponent. Eh, secondary issue. Yep, so that's what's in the future for us. So there you have it. Um, but anyway, yeah, talking about the call. So uh, who called in, Mike? Well, let's begin with, uh, we had numerous contact on numerous media uh, from a lot of different people, and some of it was, you know, incredibly succinct and wonderfully positive. So, uh, yeah, let's just give a call out to the names there. Many thanks to them. Uh, We're we're going to uh, mention in particular uh, the most involved calls with the specific details that we're really going to want to cover here. Uh, and that would be Jason. Yep. Uh, Always calling in. Thanks, yeah. Jason. Uh, Rob C. Yeah, good to hear from you, man. And Brian. Uh, yeah, Brian Newcallers. Yeah. yeah. So he had discovered our podcast recently. So glad you enjoyed that. We also had uh, some engagements from Twitter and also on our Dicer Screaming page. So in direct messages. So we want to yeah. thank every one of you for reaching out to us and letting you know what you thought. We also had a couple of raspberries, uh, people who just come up and... Well, and, we, we understood that, like, to some degree, that was not going to be an entirely popular sentiment. Um, that, you know, there are some people with some very fierce loyalties uh, that, you know, like, see that as a betrayal of the, the cause. Um or, you know, indication of, of some, you know, like terrible allegiance uh, against the way gaming should be or yeah. something like that. I, I don't fully understand it myself. Well, I think, that that the, would happen. I think one of the things that uh, I heard in the calls, because we both sat here and listened to them, um, was a comparison about fallacy of composition. Now, there's an argument made that the era of assuming, it's called the fallacy of composition, where you make the era of assuming that what is true of a member of a group is true for the group as a whole. And I think we pretty well avoided that fallacy. We right tried. Off. We tried, and obviously because a lot of people, we have to re-narrate this point again. We weren't trying to say, like, hey, if you enjoy the OSR and old-school gaming, yeah, we weren't calling out to you. We weren't saying goodbye to you because we're really here for you because it's in our DNA. It's what we're a part of us, and it's also a part of what we loved and we were doing it in a community that wasn't connected by the internet was connected by face-to-face gaming and that's what we wanted to do and i i gotta say uh you know 
for not having been ferocious internet advocates of it. Uh, we were ferocious at the table advocates, uh, which, I mean, is an important distinction. Well, you were hiding behind your keyboard. We were there. <laughs> facing them in the shield walls and on the parapets. Ah, yes. Now, um, we did try to spell out right at the beginning that it is not a oppositional relationship with anyone who still has some relationship with or fondness for the OSR. Because an awful lot of people are still holding to the best part of what I thought of as the mission. Okay? Yeah, A lot yeah. of people... And I gotta say, uh, you know, Jason, Rob, Brian, uh, a lot of, and a few other people in, in, you know, very specific instances referenced not being terribly familiar with some of the worst actors on the stage. Some mm. people recognized them peripherally, but did not generally feel that these were the strongest voices in the room, uh, that the experiences that they had 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 been so incredibly positive and uplifting. And I found that really encouraging. Yeah. So and we're not at any point dissing anybody yeah, for no, per continued that, participation. We're, we're just not doing the brand association with us because it's not really, as I think Jason most expertly referenced, and this is the thing I really, I wanted to hit this note literally after we had ended the podcast and I was driving home, it hit me that there was a thing that I had not referenced and that was the decentralized nature of OSR, which made it impossible to consider it a fixed entity with a clear purpose. You know, it, it's a very loose affiliation, so you can't really change it uh, effectively. And thus, like, we've chosen to just bow out and say, like, you know what? Uh, there are some negative associations happening because of this, and we, you know, we feel like the most appropriate thing to do is uh, go our own way and hold to what we saw as the mission in our own way. Yeah, and, and we achieved the victory with a lot of the things. And the thing is, is that by kind of saying like our revoir OSR, and we'll bring up another point here that Jason held us the task on was the nostalgia is poison. Um, we wanted to make not just break ranks and say like, hey, why on all you guys like these old games? Hey, we love them too. We really do. And if yeah. you love them, we love you. And that phrase, um, to be very specific to that moment in the last podcast, Randy was referencing and admitting to his own inclination to paraphrase uh, Jello Biafra, uh, who had written an article where like, he was asserting that like, addiction to nostalgia is a poison. Uh, people. If it's all you drink. Yeah, if that's all you consume. Yeah. Now, that was not a broad-based uh, sentiment that is at the core of our distance from what is thought of as OSR. Uh, that was not the, the core reason for right. departure. Uh, that was just a statement that he has said that in the past, you know, uh, Randy has... has like indicated in the past that nostalgia is a kind of poison when people get too addicted to it. And Jason did a great job in uh, his call of breaking down uh, like some core differences between like, hey, a healthy respect and affection for the past is one thing. 
but it shouldn't be done with a completely jaundiced eye. You know, you kind of got to look at it warts and all and then, like, move on and enjoy some new stuff, too. Right, and Ron C. also said some things about, like, we were ambiguous about who we were shooting at. And, you know, we don't like to talk about these guys, but several people named them. And, and we, you know who they are. We're I'll, split down the middle on this one because I, I'm, I'm going to just hand it to Rob. He is absolutely correct. There was like a, a gap in how much we were willing to reveal because we are split down the middle. This is one where like we both have very strong opinions and we disagree. Uh, so, But neither a, of us are wrong or right on this. Yeah, that, we're not, this is not fisticuffs territory here. This is just two radically different approaches to a similar problem uh and yeah there's no right or wrong where i stand on it it's just different and one of us you know is is of the opinion that like just uh naming names and you know going in like a mosh pit and just windmill it you know, like just cut loose and like all right let's do this i mean if this is gonna happen then you know uh it's gonna happen 100 percent and uh, the other opinion would be, like, never give free advertising to a negative, you know, never lend it any credibility. The, the notion that something, uh, you know, undeserving or unworthy uh, should be, you know, held up and, you know, given almost a little bit of its own platform, uh, you know, that, that rankles a little. But each of those two opinions has enormous validity. They're yeah, aspect of each I personally one. believe that sunlight sterilizes. And I think that bringing light to certain things. But I'm not going to make this, which is not wholly my own creation, this podcast is co-owned by us. I'm not going to make it my platform. You can go read my Twitter feed and see what you think. You see, and you don't have to dig deep. Uh, Black Christie, uh, who we talked about last week in some sort of strange malaise I can remember her name. It's like some kind of arcane Uh-oh. power fell over me. All right, I'm, I think I'm over it, though. But, yeah, during that time, uh, she's lost her account because of brigading against her. And, you know, that's led by certain bad actors. So, you know, she she does the, the work, and, you know, she doesn't have the ability like I do or the privilege to sit back and just say, hey, I'm just going to ignore them. And not that anybody should feel like they have to. This is a completely voluntary thing. And if you want to be involved in making the OSR community a better one, then that's your choice. Oh, and good on you for doing so. Right. And if you just, if you want to curate, one of the things to survive on social media is curating how many people you interact with. And the strange academy is I heard a lot of people say like, well, I'm not very engaged in the OSR, but I know dozens and dozens of people. And it's like, okay, so you are or you are not. And if you are engaged in the OSR community online, then you know who these actors are. Remaining quiet is what they want. And that's my personal opinion. That's how. I, that's why we're divided on it. And that's why I don't name them anymore because I also respect Mike's. Like, giving them any type of platform gives them a willingness to engage. And that's what they want. They want you to fight them. Yeah, and, it's the old adage, uh, you know, if you... Get in the mud and wrestle a pig. Um, you're just going to wind up dirty, smelly, yeah, the, tired, and the pig is having a great time. Yeah, the pig uh, loves you're it. not, though. Um, and, oh, well, I, I can't miss this part. This is a tidbit that was too good to leave behind. Uh, 
during Jason's uh, examples on the, you know, like, uh, call in for regarding nostalgia being, you know, a poisonous, potentially poisonous thing, uh, he had mentioned the movie Bill and Ted, and uh, I, I actually just want to totally go back and watch that again now. Oh, okay. uh, and yes, the, there were some segments of that that, like, there are many things in movies from the 1980s that are highly objectionable today. Uh, and there is something to be said for the atmosphere has changed. You know, like there are things that people did in the 1980s that no one in the 1950s would have imagined would ever grace a screen of any kind. Uh, and now here we are, fast forward another 35 years, uh, <laughs> like Back to the Future. And, you know, from 55 to 80 to, you know, 2015, 35 years later, we find ourselves with like yet another different group of standards. There are things that you can say that you could never have done 35 years ago. And there are things from 35 years ago that you should never do now. Uh, that, that evolution and process of change is ongoing and continual. So, you know, I've, I've never really panicked over it. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, I did want to mention to Jason that, like, oh, yeah, I still use inappropriate commentary if it's a close friend. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. You got to know the room. And... Oh, that and I have, I have inside club memberships, so I, I get a pass uh, for certain terms. And uh, when I use them, it's hilarious. Uh, however, I, I cannot authorize other people to use them because uh, my membership is in peril. Uh, <laughs> I I got to tell you, it, it, it is kind of like, uh, <laughs> uh, as far as my particular community goes, uh, I am not a great steward or representative. I, I have no talent for shopping. I, I can't stand it. Uh, don't do hair or nails or makeup or any of that stuff. You don't go shopping. For yeah. uh, new couch accessories yeah. like comforter pillows. I don't know anything about window treatments. You know, I I don't get any of that. Uh, that is uh, that is something that is all foreign to me. So uh, <laughs> my my membership is in jeopardy, and it's a lot like watching Car Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, that is the worst gay I've ever heard of. Aha! But you have heard of me. <laughs> yeah, so it is a badge of honor. Oh. All right. <laughs> At the next meeting of the Sinister Gay Cabal, they're threatening to drum me out if I if I don't shape up. So. <laughs> the Sinister Gay Cabal. I'm <laughs> All right. Now that said. Uh, oh yeah, and to one of the callers. Uh, no, Mike is not my partner. Uh, my partner, my wife, Mrs. Patton, which you can, uh, is not Mike. So yeah, to that guy. Yeah, go jump in the lake. Yeah, I, I gave this guy away at his wedding. He's all yours now. <laughs> I've raised him from a pup. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, no, we are very similar and yet incredibly opposite. You know, our lives took wildly diverging turns. You know, you've got one straight ex-Marine and one old gay punk. Uh, hey, I'm still punk. Oh, well, hey, you know, you... you have, I may not have, have, I not have uh, stood up on a stage in maybe uh, almost 30 years now, but... You were much more a combo of punk and classic metal. I mean, what we oh, think wow. of now as hard rock, heavy metal. You were very, you know, 
keen on all of those zones. You had an informed and knowledgeable lot of Oh, yeah, you were the guy who gave me the, slipped me the cassette of Celtic Frost, and my life was forever changed after that. Yeah, because nothing else ever feels like dark metal after you have heard Celtic Frost. Yeah, which, hey, well, that's another thing for the auguries. Put that down, is uh, we're going to be doing some music. Ah, and yes. I know a lot of people like music and gaming. Oh, well, I think there's a lot of ground to cover on that one. So. But in the other, the last portion, the last portion of Jason's commentary uh, with regard to the Dead Milkman. If I were going to pick a song to represent my nostalgic love of that band, I would not pick the one you mentioned uh, precisely for that reason. It is probably, you know, wildly inappropriate by today's standards, but it was it was acceptable 35 years ago. However... I would have chosen. I think Randy was you know more with you on the big lizard in my backyard or the bleach. But, as I actually have some time to think about the Bleach Boys, <laughs> I think actually is my favorite Dead Milkman. Because nobody who drinks it lives to be old. Huh. No, uh, Stewart or I against Osborne for the <laughs> incredible. I, I've gotten yeah. so much mileage out of linking people that whenever something incredibly ridiculously conspiratorial crops up, uh, I just drop those and walk away. Mic drop, boom, I'm out. Uh, and <laughs> the, the other toss ups would either be between Sri Lanka sex hotel or my personal favorite for introducing people to the dead milkman. Blood orgy of the atomic firm. Because I just like to throw people into the deep end and see how they do. How about you'll dance anything? But see, that's what happens when you start talking to us about the dead milkman. Yeah, yeah, it just... You know, it's, it's like there was two old guys period. with some llamas in the field, and pretty soon there's 80 llamas around us. Uh, it was There was a brief period in the late 90s where almost, I think... 10 or 15% of verbal communication between us consisted of Dead Milkman lyrics that related to how things were going at that moment. Uh, kind of like that Star Trek episode, Tanaka, on the wall. <laughs> yes. Uh, we could have our own conversations <laughs> just using... Chaka, when the walls fell. Uh, and then, yeah, we would... You know, like, Yo, so how you doing, man? I got 50 things to do, but I'll get back to you. <laughs> Everybody wants to know what gives, but I know where the tarantula lives. <laughs> That's why they call it a burrow owl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, See, it's still... It, it's still with us, you know. So, yeah. So, Huge love for having referenced the dead milkman. So, you yeah. literally made our day right out of the gate. So, now. Woo. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the engagement, up. folks. We're glad that, uh, you know, we touched a nerve because it got a lot of you to come out and talk <coughs> to us. So thanks a lot. Because tens, I know tens Drawing of our fans. Tens. Well, we, you could expect no less from the untested herbal remedy of gaming podcasts. Oh, yeah. True <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah. You never know what you're in for until it's already too late. You may wish to consult your cleric before using this product. Right on. So, <laughs> yeah. So, what are we talking about today? It's the gig economy. Yeah, the gamer gig side hustle. Man, how things have changed back in the day, and how this is one of the things where, when we talk about nostalgia is poison, this is where I think that for a lot of people, uh, we owe the OSR a lot for this, as well as a lot of other people, because the DMs Guild and other 
curated formats that allow you to get your, uh, your adventure idea, your supplement out there. I mean, is just so incredible to me. And the explosion of material, like even stuff like for travel, like John Brazier Enterprises, yeah, name drop, and uh, they do the Traveler uh, stuff. They have a huge collection of just Die 66 tables and adventures, supplements, and armory guides for vehicles and ships. Hey, you know, when do you need a Die 66 table for starport encounters in Traveler? This guy does because I'm playing Traveler. And so, you know, for 50 cents I can get this and it puts money in somebody's pocket. Wow. That was a thing where you, back in the day you had to write for the various magazines that became house organs. Another topic for another day. Yes. Um, where you had... Sorry about the um. Where you had to basically get your chops through writing articles and putting in submissions. And now it's just as easy as getting your stuff together and putting it in a format and putting it on there and, you know, you get some money off of it. Yeah, the... Favorable impression that we begin with here as we discuss the gig economy in gaming uh, is principally owed to the fact that the barriers are down. The, the number of hurdles that a would-be creative must go through has crumbled. Okay, this, this wall that once seemed impermeable, like, oh, I've really got to master my craft before I even dare to try uh, that perception is gone. Now, I understand that there is a sentiment that this leads to shoddier product being out there in oh, large okay. quantities. Okay, not untrue. That That's an yeah, absolutely I mean, valid but statement. If, but the cream still rises to the top. Right. Even if you have an influx of, say, stuff that doesn't appeal to you, somebody else will find use of it. And more importantly, it gets names out there. And people can only improve by doing yeah, there was a, a great deal of, like, I mean, who really gets to work on uh, 20 or 30 different projects uh, when they're really just focusing on trying to get one off the ground and it takes years to get a, a, an opportunity? Uh, not everybody, in, in fact, almost nobody in publishing has Stephen King's story where he published a single novel and he got a nice little, you know, tidy check for it and Things were okay, but, you know, he and the missus were not financially well off. You know, they're teaching school, trying to raise one kid and, uh, you know, riding around in a beat up old car. And then the, you know, like optioned rights, you know, or uh, what was it? Uh, the mass publication kicked off. Uh, like it's, it's going into overdrive and it's going to be on every shelf. Uh, and that first novel... Uh, the the sum that they referenced to him was astronomical to his imagination. Well, right, but that did not happen in the gaming world very often. That yeah, not everybody's David Zeb Cook. Okay, you know uh, where he got in. At, he was at the right time, the right place, and he got his stuff in. And TSR was in need of it, and so they just threw it out there. Now, the DMs Guild, and I'm also going to reference here the Miskatonic Repository by Chaosium, which and, is also through the Drive Through RPG, and yes. also uh, the Johnstone. Compendium. I was about to mention Drive Through RPG, which like 
long ago as we began this show, somebody referenced it to me, and like you had known of it, but I had not known of it, and I'm so incredibly thrilled that it is a thing. Yeah, you can publish anything for any game. They have curated content, like we mentioned, the Miskatonic repository has to deal with Call of Cthulhu, and they have a small value some standards that they want you to adhere to, but we had had with the open gaming license and the third party publishing from Paizo, um, a lot of people got their stuff out there that could print into or ride the coattails of a larger game and ride that swell of a tide upwards to getting their own company. Um, Lou Prosper Jr. is another one I know uh, who has definitely benefited from that. Yeah, getting your stake money to start up an enterprise, to take what your interests are further as your career, is more possible now than it has ever been. And that is not just amazing. It is is fantastic. It is one of the hallmarks of the mass communications era and how it has changed gaming uh, and not changed gaming for the worse. It has changed gaming for the better. Yeah, that uh, do-it-yourself attitude from the OSR translates well here because this is the transition point we wanted to have in the show. Thanks to all the call-ins, we had to start a little differently than we wanted to, but this is a nice segue. Is the OSR really blazed a path of self-publishing? That through PDFs and downloads, you could get your game out there, you could put your stuff together with a very good artist and get out there. Lamentations of the Flame Princess, Labyrinth Lord. Um, they are all pretty solid products that all have a certain aesthetic to feel. Um, but, you know, they allowed them to get the money and the grub stake along with Kickstarters and uh, Indiegogo fund me's to get your project funded and into print and on shelves. Now, all that aside, has... Is there pitfalls to it? Sure. Uh, crowdfunders, there's the notorious one, which we mentioned before, which is James Maliszewski. Uh What did he have? Dwimmer Mount. That was it. Yeah, he had Dwimmer Mount. He had almost like 400000 some odd dollars wrapped up in that. Yeah, I, I will say that there is a certain level of caveat emptor. Uh, you know, some of the venues that help people crowdfund a project are incredibly scrupulous about making sure that people either receive something or get their money back. Uh, others are not so much. Uh, and the majority of people who try to follow through on a project, uh, they really make a good faith effort, or if they can't do it, as it turns out, they, they make it right with the people who have thrown support behind it. But there are occasional incidences and yeah, yeah, and so we, we accept that as the risk of doing business in the 21st century. Yeah, there was a good uh, group of people, the adventurer, conqueror, king folk, come in and did uh, picked up the pieces and, and moved on with it. It's kind of a thing that if you can get overwhelmed, I mean, when Steve Jackson did over a million dollars for the Ogre Kickstarter, you know, he uh, talked about it quite prolifically that it was beyond what anything he had ever imagined being able to do. And the project almost grew out of hand. They had almost, at several times, it looked like they couldn't even do it, even with a million dollars, because they had just, when you get that much money, you feel obligated to give people their money's worth. And what is a million dollars worth of dollars in gaming? So I 
was able to pick up that ogre box set and i you remember that oh yeah that was huge and i was just like <laughs> wow this is so much game and product in one package oh an enormous box just also extremely high quality components and manufacturing yep. everything in it was beautiful and crisp and sharp and well done nothing you know, no expense was spared. To yeah, they didn't sit there just on it, but then there's yeah. the other one. With this was, the, there was no laurel resting over at Jackson Games, all right? I'm just going to say that. But right then now. you have, like, Jolly Blackburn got ripped off by that uh, white fella who uh, wanted to do the Knights of the Dinner Table live-action series. And that guy just basically, Ken White, I think his name is. Yeah. That guy just basically took the money and run. No, it was Ken something else. Uh, Ken... Uh, uh, the game designer from Module Writer from years ago. Oh, yeah. Ken. Yeah, he started on The Walking Dead, or did star. Jeez. Let's not give him that much credit. He was on The Walking Dead as a walk-on. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That gets around. Yeah. Uh, but, no, if, if this is the famous Ken that I despise so much, is it not? No, it's not Ken Ralston. No, no. 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 Okay. Ken Ralston? No. Okay, maybe he screwed up some of the parts of Warhammer, but that guy has done uh, Skyrim, Oblivion... Man, that guy is, uh, you know, powerful uh, in the uh, gaming community now. Oh, wait a minute. That He was involved in another incident where somebody was trying to piggyback uh, on his reputation or something. Mm. Totally, entirely different from this. Yeah, we got uh, a Yeah, somebody else had managed to get uh, poor Jolly Blackburn of Knights at the Dinner Table. Yeah, it's Ken White. And it, it was just a very unfortunate affair, but it would it showed... That there are still, even in this somewhat more advanced climate where you know we're more cautious about these things than we used to be, there's still potential for people to get bitten in the ass uh, while trying to make an investment or make an idea come to come to fruition. But having thrown in that caveat, overall, the impact that accessibility has had has been a huge net positive, okay? Just the number of unhindered imaginations able to put an idea out there where other people can see it and mull it over and say, do I want this? Do I not want this? You can test the waters. You can put your toe in there and figure out whether this is worth your effort or not. Uh, and then you can expand accordingly in, in terms of scope. How far do you want to go with this? Uh, that has empowered so many people to produce great product and new ideas. Not just like, okay, I'm going to riff on this same familiar old note. No, there's also people out there doing brand new first time ever work. And for every person who's out there, and maybe they do one or two little vanity projects that just made them happy, good for them. But there's out of that you know host of people, there are a few who are becoming the dependable creators of tomorrow. Right. Look, Nick Broke. Perfect proving ground. Yeah. He, perfect example. Nick Broke got out there, got his name out there. He'd been known by the uh, cast at Chaosium, and now he's in employed full-time by them. Or part-time, as I understand. Freelancing as well on the side. Nonetheless, that's how you, you did it back in the day, is you got, you just keep throwing product out, that somebody would eventually take it for a game system or an idea and you would develop that into the system that was told. Now, that hurdle has, that bar has been lowered quite a bit. 
And for as many people as Mike said right off the bat, you can poo-poo that. I just, yeah, okay. That means that you don't have enough faith in your own creativity to do it. Now, if you can take an idea or an adventure or for a game and get it out there and get your name in the mix and maybe even be called in to do a larger project that pays off later, even if you're just making a couple, you know, a couple quid a month, I mean, Crap, we make a pretty decent uh, little scratch here for uh, just oddball stuff. Oh, well, me on eBay, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, well, no, on this podcast. I oh. mean, but, yeah, if we were if we were more well put together and formatted and, uh, we, you know, we posted our Patreon and got everything set up like a true professional or a real, you know, yeah, we, we could class get act. More we could get more, yeah, we could get some decent scratch out of it. But... That's how it starts. Is it like, wasn't our principal emphasis. Yeah, we're kind of not really well put together on that sort of thing. That's not that's not our mindset. For us, it's just like being listened to is is probably the reward well enough, and probably we shouldn't be listened to as half as much as we are. Yeah, still a little stunned about that myself. But yeah, being able to get your product out there, uh, whether it's an idea for adventure or a game or a supplement or anything. It, the field is wide open, and the fact that the curated gates are open, like the DMs Guild and the Miskatonic Repository, holy cow, Call of Cthulhu is the second best-selling game out there right now, at its height where it should be, and that's incredible. Oh, I, I do want to mention that in a previous episode, quite some time ago, uh, we had discussed some of the you know, funding venues, uh, as opposed to the, uh, distribution venues. Okay. Yeah. In our, our previous episode, we had discussed the funding streams that people could generate the, you know, Indiegogo and of course, Kickstarter, Kickstarter. Uh, but in this, to be very specific, uh, we're talking about things like drive through RPG, uh, and the right. various subsidiaries and things like that, that, provide people with just an open door policy. I mean, if you, yeah, can, you have a, but this is the one contingent point that I really wanted to make mm. is that, uh, I, I reject the, this is bad because undisciplined people are doing this. Uh, no, I, I want to reject that notion because undisciplined people generally don't get to completion. Uh, much of the stuff that you see, it, it, a significant majority of it has been put together fairly cleanly, uh, which surprises me at times because I expected a lower level of professionalism going in. Uh, and as it turns out, the people who represent uh, persons not really interested in following through and, and you know finishing their product, uh, they don't usually make it. You know they don't they don't make it onto the internet at all. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, this is a terrific proving grounds for people to put together their finished product. And once they've got it up, they find out how it stacks up against other people's creations. And so this is a powerful training ground where, you know, really, I mean, the, the best of the best uh, make the biggest splash. Right. And here's the thing is that if you have a blog well, I don't know blogging anymore, but if, if you're a known blogger or you're prominent in the community and you put out 
decent material, and then you go to drive through RPG or one of the curated formats, DMs Guild, Paizo site, or whatever, and you get your product out there. You can then transition to Kickstarter and really get something out going and uh, also get it published in the same formats. And also Lulu helps with this. But we're talking about the, the side hustle and we also it's easy to get distracted in how it came about and the triumphs and the failures. The way that people have are able to engage into their hobby now and not only enjoy it but monetize it and so other people can get into it. And we'll be right back. All right, and so we're back there. So, so yeah, sorry about that. A little interrupt us. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> just knock at the door and, well, you know, some news to carry forward. Anyway, back to it. We were talking about the how that you can build up your reputation a lot easier and through all your work and eventually get to that high enterprise of either getting or lofty goal of getting hired in. Or get your Kickstarter off the ground and get your product in on the shelves. Like Savai handed it. And oh, others. Yeah. That's a huge book, by the way. I heard that was a target. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's now dis distributed at that level. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah, it sold really well. Anyway, uh we had during the break a little conversation about some other things about art. And Mike had some really good observations about that. I wanted to make it, but he does it much better than I so take it away, buddy. Well, the interesting thing about art in the modern gig economy is that to some degree, other than the issue of greater accessibility, the relationship that artists have uh, has always been a gig economy. Uh, the providers of art for books and for publications, the, the minor page illustrations and things like that. Yeah, like Jim Holloway, who passed away here. Yeah. Uh, Not too long ago. The... Giants of uh, book cover and fantasy gaming and, you know, Dragon Magazine covers and things like that. Uh, for them, it was always a gig economy. True. And while many other people now enjoy an, an opportunity to get their foot in the door, uh, artists lived that cheek-by-jowl existence. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they had to produce something. Uh, submit a portfolio and say, like, look, these are the kinds of things I can create, uh, and here are my rates. Uh, and, I, you know, they work by the job. They did not go into an office, sit down and art for eight hours, and then go home. Uh, they counted on a gig economy, and you had to be uh, extremely consistent and noteworthy. Now, it suffered the same problem as everybody else who like would love to have gotten into the gaming vibe and like have some kind of work related to it. It was very hard to get a foot in the door. And now, uh, wow, mass media has made it possible for people to highlight what they're capable of doing. And then literally, like you build a better mousetrap and the world beats at the well, back yeah, of your it's door. Well, yeah, it's the internet. And once again, things have changed so much with the... We talked about the Discord, uh, Twitch, and other gaming live streams. So has, we neglected to talk about it at length, but here we are doing it now, is about the whole side hustle, that you can turn your hobby into money. That was the dream from way back when, and it's now fully realized. And thanks, thanks Internet, you provided us more than pornography and cat videos. Yes. And so 
there's a way to make monetize and get your product out delivered into the hands of hungry gamers everywhere and man now is the time for it and just get out there and enjoy it i'm not saying it's going to last forever but i think that this may be our new now I mean, our present is a really pretty good one when you look at it. And not just for D&D or old school or new stuff. It's all the things that have made the gaming collective. And and we can also oh, yeah, talk about the craft side. Like, yeah, the, the craft side would be including things such as dice and other gaming accessories, yeah. costuming, uh, you know, the, the additional tidbits that one can... Oh, wait. Wait. What? I... I feel, I feel the hairs on the back of my neck standing up. Okay. I, oh dear. Oh, the arcane eye casts its eldritch gaze on you and you find yourself failing your saving throw. Hi and welcome to the arcane eye where we talk about small gamers and small gaming projects and also large ones too. Hey, it's all one size fits all here in the arcane eye and its eldritch gaze. Today we're going to talk about at all games new and old. They're a Twitter follower, or they're a Twitter user, and they have a great little community. They follow at, uh, just did a great review on the board game squad of Tidal Blades by Druid City Games. Hmm. And so they, again, just like their name says, all games new and old. If you find yourself on Twitter and not here, trapped in the arcane eyes gaze, you can check them out and give them a like and a follow and help support a gamer in a community sphere. So, I cast my despite at the arcane gaze. I cast thee out. Oh. Be gone. Be gone. Avant. What are you talking about, man? Uh, uh, did you not just see the arcane eye cast its gaze upon us? I don't totally know what you're talking you, about, dude. Totally took you over. Are you all right? I, you were just like quiet for a few minutes. What happened? I, I'm pretty sure you were abducted for a while. Oh. <laughs> there was a bright light. I, I, there was some like she. Yeah, you know, maybe you should cut down on that Mountain Dew intake. You know, it's getting to you, buddy. All right. So, yeah, we want to talk about dice and uh, and the crafting stuff. You know, pins. You know, enamel pins, just old button push-out pins. I mean. I need to get my jacket back in the game going on here. So what better way than to look on Etsy and you see so many new things. I just got my wife oh, a yeah. for Valentine's Day a beholder with hearts. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a beauty. Yeah, that is really nice. And there's just so much stuff to craft dice alone. Oh, my gosh. If you love dice like... Well, if you're a dice goblin and you like those shiny math rocks, <laughs> they go clicky clack. Yes. It, or you're it? dice dragon like me. I I just hoard them. <laughs> like Smaug sleeping on his fire <laughs> trove. And roar. Oh. <laughs> oh, true. Man, what a time. I mean, people are making some gorgeous dice. Not to mention even the most routine items uh, for any household, the, the things that you take for granted. Uh, now, <laughs> there's always someone out there who is customizing it for gaming to, yeah. to reflect gaming aesthetic. Uh, and so much is possible, both in terms of like personal interest, entertainment, yeah. uh, for 
actual real use game accessories, but also for just household wants. Uh, and gaming everything has become the name of the day. It's all over the place. You can decorate your house and like, yes, I'm a gamer. <laughs> I know. And if you would have told me this would have happened 10 years ago, I would have like, yeah. whatever you're smoking, I'll have a double. Yeah, when we talk about the gap between 40 years ago and now, you know, it often shows this uh, progression of events uh, that is less steep. Whereas this particular phenomena, uh, the last eight, nine years, I mean, if you didn't go to a game convention, this stuff just wasn't there to be found. Only at the big cons and like the, the you know conventions with vendors, did you find these tailored to the market gamer friendly items? And now they're everywhere. You don't have to wait for a con. It's nice to see it there when a con gets held, but it's all over the place. They're everywhere. They're all around us. Yeah, you, you know when you I went to a con gaming people. Oh yeah. <laughs> when you went to a, a large scale or even just a moderate size convention, you could count on people bringing a few artsy, crafty items, a couple uh, mugs etched. My wife has been opening an Etsy store, and oh, has, the perennial T-shirt market was there too. Yeah, yeah that and yeah, that's al yeah, that's always been there, but now it's more varied than ever before. Yep, you wearing there. The I star am showing off a old T-shirt that I got at a convention, uh, amongst other things that I picked up, and it was for a, a role-playing game of seventies glam rock called. Star Children, the Velvet Generation. And uh, I, I was at the convention in Wisconsin. And this uh, was one of the booths that, like, I saw this. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You built the game off of, like, people like David Bowie. And, like, you know, T-Rex, you know, and, oh, oh my gosh. It's so... I'm going to have to have this and everything related to it. So that totally happened. Um, By was, the way, he's got a copy of the game that he's never ran for us, that bastard. Yeah, I know. I know. And I go back and reread it and cherish it just the same. Yeah. I do. Uh, See, there's not just dice hoarders. There's game hoarders. Yes. Guilty as charged. But that would be the point. Uh, at the convention environment, uh, you could find these things. Uh, and now it's expanded into yep. way more. I mean, you know, the, the Etsy accessibility uh, that uh, our, our crafty say. Uh, yeah, she's uh, you know, she's uh, broken into it, and she has a, a wonderful book that gave us the geek economy and how to get into it and how to pursue it as a professional. You know, you actually have to m mark your time if it takes you an hour you actually charge people for an hour. And sometimes they get some people turning their nose up, like, how much is a dice bag? And she'll tell them, and they're like, well, why is it so much? Well, it took an hour time, and this is how much I value an hour of my time. Well, yeah, time and materials. Right, and so, you know, that's something that a lot, a lot of people take into account when they get into this. So there's some very solid advice on that. Uh, Mike, you hold the mic for a moment, and well, we'll get it. Happily. Now... I had noticed very early on that, you know, this 
expanded exponentially way beyond anybody's expectations. Uh, as soon as the platforms began to launch, uh, gamers were kind of at the forefront of this. Uh, they were some of the very first people to say, hey, we share a collective interest and we share a collective sense of humor that respects many of the same inside jokes. So when you have a microculture filled with inside jokes, you have a niche market just waiting to explode. And oh my gosh, did it ever. Uh, oh yeah. Just the last seven, eight years in particular. And, you know, honestly, a lot of people have been leaning on it heavily uh, during this extremely difficult previous year uh, where traditional employment was the harder thing to maintain. Right. And uh, it's called, this book is called Make a Nerdy Living. It's by Alex Langley and uh, it's by Sterling Press publishing it. Um, and right on says, how can I make a living at this? The question we ask while doing things we love, make a nerdy living has the answer. And, uh, he talks about some no nonsense topics about how to charge people. And if some people balk at it, you're like, Hey, yeah, you know, a big corporation can charge a smaller price because they mass produce. This is made by, this is one person and you have to stand firm to that. Well, it also begs the other problem, which is that, like, say, for instance, you don't value your time very highly, but you do want to make back what you spent on Material, materials yeah. and then have a little bit of profit. You drop that price too low and your demand kicks up really high and you're still only one person. There is only so much you can do. All right. And they bring these things up. So balancing we, that, you know, one, if people have an interest in working in the gig economy, you also have to thoughtfully consider your degree of available time, your level of commitment, and what is your likely uh, routine output. Like how right. much can you put forth on a regular basis? Uh, there are all kinds of gig economy gigs out there, uh, but knowing what you're capable of and what you're comfortable with is really phenomenally important because if either of those two things like fail the litmus test midway through uh, you may have a very dis disappointing encounter <laughs> to say the least so all right um i think we've walked that around quite a bit we've rambled on a little bit about the uh how great it is and to have things like the drive through rpg and rpg now around with us it's still mind-blowing to me in many ways that it's just that easy to get your idea into a format and then put it out there for people to experience and enjoy whether or not you make a great living off of it or it's just it the next step in your self-employment career in gaming and nerddom hey great time to be around but uh well yeah and i mean if you have a good work-life balance and you have some time to devote to your hobby uh, you can also uh, cause that side interest to put a little extra scratch in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I, nobody hates that. Uh, you like I, for instance, as a general rule, I'm painting houses and busting freight, which keeps me, you know, pretty busy. But a little eBay side hustle uh, provides me with a goodly measure of money that I only use for fun and entertainment. Uh, you know, my, my real incomes, you know, pay the bills and lay up my savings and get my taxes covered and all that. But uh, my e-sales are 
just luxuries, you know, like, oh, hey, sold a few things, and now I'm going to go buy a book I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, very nice. Now, yeah, that brings us full circle. Oh. And yeah, it brings us to what? first episode going pretty smoothly. Yep. So we're going to go ahead and just call it quits here and leave your ears to the tender mercy of silence because we will no longer be bothering you with our inanity. So in true Dicer Screaming format, we're going to bid you adieu with this. And so tune in next week for our next thrilling episode where hopefully we won't have a ton of calls. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. We, keep we those calls. All, but we love them all, but uh, you know, we we also enjoy playing the. the yeah, that people, was so, a hard. Uh, it was actually a personal sacrifice for us to say, ah, uh, just to hold the time down. We, we we can't run all the calls. It it actually cruelly bit. Yeah. So all right. So until next time, may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.